You are listening to Patrick Attaway with Demise of the Podcast, my podcast where I discuss writing, specifically today my own writing as we delve back into Surviving New America. This is the only right-wing conservative Trump-supporting podcast on the internet. Oh, God. So, here's the thing. Surviving New America, for those of you who haven't gathered it by now, is anti-conservative, anti-government, anti-capitalism. I mean, it's a pretty satirical book. It's very critical of the way things were in 2020, because I was living it along with the rest of us, but I was very bitter, and I was trying to make light of this terrible situation that we were all in. And I have publicly expressed my distaste for the prior administration under Donald Trump. I have never espoused what would what I would consider offensive viewpoints on race or gender or sex, for that matter. And here we are. We live in a time where you can agree with someone's ideology and they can still make it seem like you're their enemy, at least when it comes to politics. And of course, for those of you who are unable to detect sarcasm, this is not a conservative podcast. I voted for all Democrats in this prior election, and I'm going to do that until I die. Before then, I used to vote for libertarians, not because I'm a libertarian, but because I didn't like the two-party setup, and I do have a lot of issues with Democrats, as well. it's just I have fewer issues with them as Republicans, and there are plenty of racist, terrible Democrats, too. But they're the lesser of two evils, and there are some people, I won't I, I wish I could say that there were good people in, on both sides, and the the good people on the left outnumbered the good people on the right for me right now. There was a time where I, I can't honestly say that they weren't all a bunch of crooked bastards, including people like Bernie Sanders, but there was a time where politics was more palatable and not about one extreme and the other. So it's just a sticky situation discussing politics with anyone. And it seems even if you agree with them that it's, it's difficult to discuss on any given terms, really. So surviving new America is my take on things. And I don't really think that everyone's going to comprehend where I stand based on this book alone, just like you can't really tell where I stand on religion after reading Demise of the Trinity, which is a a book that is an allegory for my relationship with religion and my belief in God. Surviving New America is not necessarily about a utopian or dystopian 
country so much as it is a reflection of the times we're currently living in. So, if you are offended by anything I say on my podcast or my Twitter, you're more than welcome to tell me about it, but you're also welcome to go away. I mean, there was a a time where people realized, hey, I'm not comfortable here. I'm going to leave. Today, my wife and I went to a town about 30 minutes away, a little closer to Atlanta. And she was unhappy the entire time. And I, I keep telling her, you know, we don't have to come here. We can go other places. And part of the reason why we went, for those of you who are curious, is because we have a membership with Sam's Club. And we get bulk shit there. But for a while, we were getting bulk shit from BJ's and Noonan, which is less terrible than Douglasville. It's definitely less urban. And the thing about Douglasville and Noonan is that you've got a wide variety of kind of liberal people, a lot of conservative people, and just outright stupid people. But Noonan is a little nicer because it's a little more suburban. And I grew up in a rural town in a suburban-style neighborhood. So, you know, that's where my comfort lies. But uh, the issue with BJ's is that the quality of the products there was not up to standard. And the quality of the store wasn't really up to standard. With Sam's Club, you kind of try to get in and out before you can notice anything. But the issue is that there are a shit ton of lines, a shit ton of people. All of them are fucking rude as shit. And my wife was wishing death on all humanity as we were in Douglasville today. But anyway, let's talk about this book. Let's talk about the podcast, where it's heading with this book. So I have tried to think of a better way to do this because with Demise of the Trinity I split the the episodes up by character, topic but with this I'm just reading from chapter to chapter and we've barely scratched the surface and this book is very dense, there's a lot to it I can't read the entire book I mean I could, but I can't read the entire book on the podcast So I'm trying to figure out a better way to do this because if I go character to character, I'm going to have to fill you in on the other characters because they're all interwoven so tightly. They're different threads. I almost said treads. Yeah, everyone has their own plot and their own transformation as a character. But... It's hard to just talk about Holner without getting into Gentry McCord and Birch and Sarah. They all come together. I haven't even gotten to Shauna or Jamarin yet. And those two characters are very interesting. Then there's book two because the book was originally two different novels that were very closely related that I edited together. Book two has 
mostly new characters in it. But uh, it's just that we don't have the time for it. I will spend the entire year going over this book. And for one thing, it'll totally dilute the audience because the whole point of going from different work, different author, each episode or doing a series on a specific author and doing different works by them is that you can attract more of an audience and you can cover more material. And the more writers that I cover, the more people want to listen. And if I just spend the whole fucking podcast trying to promote this book, that no one has really bought since the opening weekend. I mean, sales went from great to nothing real fast. And you remember a few episodes I was complaining about how the first couple of days it went nowhere and then it skyrocketed on the Saturday and Sunday and then nothing. And I mean nothing. I haven't even, I've not had sales on any of my other books either. I mean, it's interesting because I have so many followers, but there's not really a way to capture those followers into an audience because a lot of my followers are also authors and they're also trying to get their own audience. And a lot of them are just frankly not interested in actually supporting other authors. And I've tried to get to know people on this platform and buy their works and read their works and review their works. I haven't done it with thousands of people. Obviously I can't. And I have my own life. I have a job. I have grad school. I have assignments for grad school. I have to read for grad school and I have to focus on my own writing too. So it's, everyone's got their own life. Everyone's got their own shit going on. So yeah, I mean, sometimes reading itself has to take a back burner to all the other stuff going on. I wish I could be one of those people who read a book a week because that's how I used to be. I used to read a novel every week and that stopped. So I'm going to stop complaining. The chap, the first chapter we're getting into today, let me have a look, is from Gentry's perspective, but... It's not very long. I hope that we get to Jamarin soon. I really like him. We have Shauna coming up and then more Manser. So maybe I'll read more than three today, but I also want to give you some insight on this shit because I don't like just reading. I like to, to stop and talk about things as I did in the last episode with that guitar story that I, I went over. I want to do more of that because that's what the normal format of the podcast is. And this podcast is not an audiobook. And I have plenty of opinions to give. So let's get into the book. So we're starting with Gentry today. Reviewing these schematics for the haptic mask, I see that producing the chips that Manster designed is going to be costly. The helmets are no problem as we have the materials to make them here, but not many companies mass-produce chips anymore. We'd have to expand our hemp production to make the amount of plastic, and that's going to cost money in land, workers, and time. Otherwise, I could hand these plans to my production manager and produce some prototypes for testing. 
How did you get Manser to hand this over, I ask. Well, I brought him back his revolver, Holner says, and I might have fired a warning shot before I grabbed these for you. I don't know Manser other than by reputation, but no one would accuse him of being evil. Holner's unnecessary violence impedes our professional relationship. She's moving things forward, and I'm afraid of the karma that might kick my ass pretty soon. Probably via her holding a gun to my head again. Thank you, I say. Why don't you take the day off and I'll make sure you still get paid? I don't have a whole lot to do, she says. Please. Thankfully, she walks out of the office, and I wheel over my chair to lock the door. I need to call Fravis in the agricultural department about reallocating our plastic production away from the vehicle soon. Since sales aren't getting any better and dealers aren't ordering any new models, I'd be stupid to keep pumping out cars right now. I want to go home to Lily because my motivation to roll out these haptic masks is on par with my desire to grow a third arm out of my chest. Holner's a one-woman mafia, and I wouldn't be surprised if Manser feels the same. If she's in the Trinity, a more vengeful man would find someone else in the Trinity to kill her. Unfortunately, I'm not that man. So, from... The product description on Amazon in the back of the book, we know that there is someone who finds that man. Dun, dun, dun. You already know who that is if you've read Demise. Perhaps she's not just after money since she wants to work. Holner wants a purpose and ways to flex her strength. I'm capable of commanding men in a factory, but one woman makes me feel like I have no control in my life. Yeah, I feel like that line wasn't an accident. I not only wanted to write this tough woman without destroying her femininity, but I wanted to make a woman that the men in this book would fear. And we need more women in antagonist roles, people. That's the juicy part of the book, isn't it? It's always the antagonist. The phone rings and it's from an outside caller. Hello? Mr. McCord? A man speaks. This is Dr. Rodney Daniel of the Atlanta Mental Rehabilitation Hospital. Since Mansur Sean, Mansur Sean, since Mansur Sean can't reach out to you due to unfortunate circumstances, I thought I'd call you. Thank you. I'd like to speak to Mr. Sean directly, if possible. I believe you two have a mutual friend who'd very much dislike the two of you meeting. Holner, I say. So, Mansur doesn't know I'm calling you. I want to offer you a service since Mansur isn't willing to. I'm listening. For the past few days, Dr. Daniel treated a patient with some mysterious ailment with the haptic mask, and he's seeing results. If we can get this documented, I can market the mask as beneficial to mental health. It certainly made me happy to see my wife and Lily's remaining occupied when she tries it. Do you know how a grenade works, Gentry? When you throw it, the shrapnel hits multiple targets. If you don't throw it far enough, you'll catch shrapnel instead. This patient is sort of like a grenade in that he can affect those around him even if he if they have good intentions. You're not suggesting we throw a patient at Holner, are you? I chide. 
I'm saying that if we're not careful, he could harm us and many other people. But he's probably effective against this woman. She claims she's in the Trinity. I'm not sure how much you can do about that. I have a theory I'd like to test. Could you provide a photograph of this Holner? There's a security camera in the corner of my office. I suppose I could grab a still from the disc and print it out. That's a great way for me to sin against God and go to hell. I thought God made the Trinity to protect humanity against evil. All I sense from Holner is evil. What we're discussing is not only illegal, I say, but also a sin. If she's supposedly in the Trinity, Dr. Daniel says, she'll go to heaven if this works. The idea of her being up there doesn't comfort me. How many people in the Trinity murdered innocents only to end up in heaven? What kind of system is this? I'll bring you something to work with this afternoon, I say. Oh, and do you have a van or a truck? I pull up to the hospital and look at the place I lost my wife. Anne wasn't mentally or physically well, and the Emory Medical Center was running out of room and made the call to move her here. I saw Dr. Rodney Daniel in passing, but he never treated her. The nurse, Heather, recognizes me at the front desk and waves me toward the staircase leading to the second floor. Dr. Daniel's office is only a few steps away. When I knock on the door, Mansur Sean answers, and my chest wants to cave in. Hello, Gentry. Mansur, I walk past him. Mr. McCord, Dr. Daniel shakes my hand. I'm pleased that you've come. Why are we both here? I point at Mansur. Because you're in a similar situation. Since you sent Holner to investigate Mansur, it's only fitting that you help him. This is the van for him? I do appreciate it, Mansur says. I just need to take my things to Gainesville for now. I have a new project that I'm working on and can't have Holner interrupting. If you could, please just tell her to forget me. By the way, people, there's a Gainesville in Georgia. I'm not talking about Gainesville, Florida here. You'll be compensated for the haptic mask, I say. I'll make sure of that. We'll meet again in better circumstances. I hand him the keys to the van and sit down as Dr. Daniel closes the door behind Manser. I assume the doc will drive me back to the GM plant. Pulling out the photo I printed of Holner, I toss it on his desk and he smirks as he looks at her. Almost pretty, Dr. Daniel says. She's young, though. All young people would act like this in her circumstances. Circumstances, I ask. See, the Trinity was a flawed concept, Dr. Daniel sits down. Three people, invincible to physical damage and sickness, sounds like a novel way to keep Earth safe, but if you give that power to a teenage boy, you'll see nasty results. That's why I'm trying to tame my new patient, teach him that his power is a gift, even though it's a curse, just like the Trinity. Do you think I should feel sorry for her? If she never meets the other people like her, I'd feel sorry for her. Living for eternity is certainly a curse. So, Dr. Daniel is making the same point that I've made about the Trinity in that being in the Trinity is both a gift and a curse, of course, but if you give that power to a child, if a person grows up 
with immunity to everything, then what kind of person is that child going to grow up into? And with Holner, you see the same results as we saw with Ken Price, maybe even Arthur Lindsay. She is incapable of realizing what real pain is. So she has nothing to fear. It makes it seem like we're doing her a favor. I suppose if she killed Bruce without provocation, she'll kill again. The way she treated Mansur made me regret asking her to find him. Now, he has to run and I have to figure out these haptic masks for myself. What are you going to do with that photo, I ask. When the patient doesn't wear the haptic mask, I'm going to turn the lights off in his room for a minute. The picture will be hanging on his wall when the lights come back on. This will induce a negative association with Holner. Once he has a built-up fear of her, the moment he sees her, she'll be dead. I don't approve of murder, I say. You're exploiting this patient. If it were exploitation, why does he have this gift? Am I supposed to keep him tranquilized? I can't say that Dr. Daniel is wrong, but I don't like it. With Manster leaving, Holner's going to blow up. So, we need this plan to work soon. What can I do to protect Lily, though? She's my weakness. Would Holner hurt my daughter? Call me before this happens, I say. I'm actually going to skip the next chapter. Reason being is that the details in it, while important, you're not going to miss anything if I just go straight to Shauna. Shauna is an interesting character because, as you'll see, she's part of the Trinity. And you may be wondering, after the events of demise of the Trinity, how the Trinity came back. Because originally the only person left in it was Birch because he was the figurehead. So it's explained in the chapter, so let's just get into it, shall we? When I came back in 2073, nobody in Chattanooga knew what year it was. And the same moment Murray returned me to Earth, Holner Joyner was born. For the first time in centuries, there were two women in the Trinity, and if Holner knows better, she'll stay clear of Kay Abercrombie, like I did the past 22 years. Ladies and gentlemen, who is Kay Abercrombie? Who is this mysterious figure that Shauna has brought up? Well, if you haven't read Demise, Kay Abercrombie is Birch's real name. If you don't know who Birch is yet, well, you are way behind. Murray fears losing his grasp in hell. Without new souls to take and less people born on earth, hell doesn't balance with heaven, and God has to commence revelation. Once God clears earth, he picks the redeemed souls from hell. Then the rest of the souls vanish for eternity, along with Murray and anyone who ever sold out to Satan. Had Lucifer remained Satan, he'd relish the end of everything. So, to catch you back up, even if you have read Demise, this is a refresher. In the final chapters of that book, Birch goes to hell. And yes, I am spoiling the book, so if you have not read Demise, you can skip ahead a few seconds. But if you're an adult and you don't give a shit about fucking spoilers. So, Birch goes to hell and he destroys Lucifer. 
And in place of Lucifer, he makes Murray Groan, who was the former Antichrist, one of three Antichrists, he makes him Satan. The reasoning behind that is explained in the book, but we will see in book one of Surviving New America just how good Murray is at his job. In 1845, we didn't have electricity or, or indoor outhouses. Until 2085, I was content in my cabin with a garden, a few horses, and a little pond. I keep the lights off most of the time, though I like having a flashlight to peek around at night, sort of like having the sun in my hand. Guns got a lot better than the single-shot sticks we fired. Murray left me a few to help with hunting and protection, though the only person I worry about is Kay. Murray kept calling him Birch, but that's a stupid name. A few shotgun blasts might knock him down, but he can get back up real quick. I need a big hole and a shovel for Mr. Abercrombie. By the way, have I ever explained how Birch got his name? So, I came up with Birch in 2014 I was already four years into writing Demise, and originally Birch was supposed to be a minor character. I've told you this much before in the podcast, but the name Birch, of course, came from Birch Tree, but I actually have a distant cousin named Birch, and I, his brother is named Kay. So, along with that, Abercrombie is sort of a tribute to my great-grandfather and great-grandmother. Their names were Abercrombie, and I I just thought the world of my great-grandfather when I was a kid, and he passed away when I was about 11. And that always, of course, stuck with me. I think about him every day. Although... There are a lot of things from that time that I can't remember as clear, but I remember him distinctly. I'm not here to make a war, though. Murray brought me back to revive the Trinity, so I live the life I lost too soon. If I give anyone advice, I'd say selling your soul to the devil to save a man's life isn't a great trade if you're just going to get shot a year later. I met Rutherford Monroe when I was 14. Men didn't expect much out of women except keeping house, making babies, and marrying young. That was usually at the behest of a girl's father, so marriages were generally arranged. Cousins married each other sometimes just to keep land in the family. Rutherford and I didn't have families with property and slaves to tend our crops. If we wanted to get married, we'd have to run off. Other than traveling across America with as much money as we have golden hens, we didn't have an exciting life. Rutherford got jobs on farms up in the north, and I usually made one dinner for the farmer before he tossed us out. I've had some practice and still can't cook with her shit. I'm better at tending to animals in my garden. I was talking to this girl, Janelle, who is only a little younger than me. She was passing through Kentucky to get to Canada, and despite that she was black, I didn't consider that she might be some man's property. The South was full of men burning in hell as we speak. 
All those plantations spread misery, and Rutherford never mentioned any interest in owning another human being. Yeah, if you haven't really pieced it together yet from past things I've said about this book, the events of 2020, not just the virus, not just Joe Exotic and Trump, the events of the riots and protest were very influential on this book. And last year on the podcast, I had a mini breakdown because it was a lot to handle. And the idea that someone can be discriminated against based on their skin color this far into our history is very upsetting to me. And I, I would not consider myself highly sensitive to social issues, but it's just difficult because at a certain point, I don't, I don't really think about skin color when I know someone. You notice it when you first meet someone, sure, but it's not like every time I'm sitting with someone who's another race, I'm not noting, oh, they're black, oh, they're Asian, oh, they're Hispanic. It's not coming across, I just see a human being. And to be faced with this world where people will be pulled over for their skin color, people will be shot and murdered in the street for their skin color, well, this is difficult for me. Janelle's owner didn't much care for her running off and talking to white girls. Three men on horses surrounded us on the street, and each of them held rifles on us. My instinct was to grab Janelle and push her under me, which caused one of the rifles to fire. Well, one of the assholes didn't like me helping her and decided I should die too. Only I didn't. When the bullets didn't work, they tried to trample us with their horses. Janelle didn't make it. I wish I'd had the strength to chase them down, but I was 16 and had the tact of a stomped peanut shell. All that shit's unimportant now. Two decades back on this planet and I am bored. God didn't make our kind to sit around in houses. I'm going to take a sip of Martinelli's. Kay does that well enough for all three of us. Maybe we should weed out Holner so a new member should, should join us. Someone who doesn't operate on cloudy morality. But getting Kay to come out of his hut might take a lady more beautiful than Lilith and a cause greater than chasing a girl through Atlanta. Murray appears in a cloud of smoke in a poor imitation of Lucifer. He maintained his bald head and white goatee despite possessing power most men might use to make their dicks ten feet long. I guess it makes him seem humble, but secretly he always loved being a grouchy old sack of shit. You beckoned, he says. As much as I appreciate the digs, I say, there's a situation I want to involve myself in. Only took you 22 years of sitting on your ass. What do you need, Shauna? Money wouldn't hurt. One of those metal contraptions with wheels. They call them borrow buggies. Gas-powered horses. You want cash in a car, Murray says. The devil knows the details, dear.
I'd also like some suggestions as to how I should proceed, preferably the option with the least bloodshed. You're not the only one who wants to dance with our little miss. I doubt your ear is far enough to the ground to know about Sarah Isaac, but there's a five-year-old boy who's able to kill people without touching them. It's better if you let Holner be the guinea pig for his doctor's experiment. For those of you unaware about Murray and his character, he is inspired by Mike Ehrmantraut of Breaking Bad. There's a little boy that kills people by looking at them and a doctor's making him go after Holner. This new world is more entertaining than fiction. Murray's right about testing him out on Holner, though. As soon as Kay finds out about Sarah, he'll come down to Atlanta quicker than a released prisoner eats pussy. That's a great line. I had to make Shauna a little crass, you know. She's from the Old South. Well, I can avoid the kid while I'm down here, I say. You want to help derailing Holner, Murray asks. Go to Gainesville, about an hour away from Atlanta, and invest in Mansur Sean. He designed a teleportation device that he's installing with a grant from President Hatcher. This is going to put genetic motors out of business unless they start producing some helmets for him. He's also the designer of the haptic mask, which is how this started. What's haptic mean, I ask? Is teleportation like telephone? I'm not a dictionary, Murray says. Are you going to kill Holner and mess everything up we're working toward? We have to rebuild humanity. I never enjoyed hurting anyone, I say. Then why go after Holner? Because God didn't give her a gift to use for evil. You serve evil, Murray says. Evil bores me. Shauna is unique in that while she did sell her soul to... Lucifer. Uh, she's not bad, really. I mean, you see eventually that, yes, she has some evil leanings, but she doesn't have bloodlust like other people in the Trinity have. She's not violent. And that's one of the things I wanted to try out. I wanted to make a character like her that was rational, was from the Old South, and also wasn't a stereotypical woman character because it's difficult. I give her specific traits to set her apart, and then I write based on that. So she's not the most organically created character, unlike Holner, that... When I came up with her character, I was literally playing by ear. Shauna is actually the result of several years of working on a character, originally by the name, not of Shauna Briscoe, but of Creed Briscoe. Creed Briscoe was a man from the Old South, sort of a Western-style character inspired by, was it Virgil from Walking Dead? And... After a while, I realized, well, for one thing, I need a woman. I need more women in this book because I can't just write a giant sausage fest as much as I would like to because I'm terrible at writing women. But I changed the sex of the character, and I also wanted to do something different, keeping in theme with this book that is more comical 
and less violent. So Sean is not going to go shooting up a fucking McDonald's. She's not going to go murder someone in this book. She's more tactful than that. Next chapter is another quick one from Manser's perspective. Assessing old American power lines works a little faster than digging new holes and running wire, although I'm not sure we can make it to D.C. within the 30-day time frame. One part of the crew is in Columbia, South Carolina, digging toward Atlanta and Raleigh. I'd rather be in South Carolina than so close to Holner and Gentry. We have a hundred men in each city, which is more than a typical construction crew. President Hatcher's grant money only runs so far. He's offered other benefits to these men who are mostly unemployed before all this. Their three meals are free and none of them have to worry about a place to sleep. Once we get federal funding, they'll be paid for the 30 days and help in expansion throughout the country. Despite the sureness of it all, I don't have an appetite. When I stop digging with the crew, even just to wipe my sweat or take a breath, I think of what's waiting for me in Atlanta. The deal with Gentry should have been a lot smoother. Did I want that girl dead, though? She's clearly going to kill me if I take a misstep. So, am I justified if Rodney goes through with it? It's possible that kid can't do it. Honer's in the Trinity, and the only way to take her out for sure is to find the figurehead. Losing Bruce should be enough to make me hate her. Just grab more wire, Mancer. Push it through the tubing. Keep on your hands and knees. Get dirtier. We should be done with this section, which means we have to find a nearby strip on the Georgia Power Map and use the backhoe to expand with new tubing. Such a tedious process. If Harley Freudland had this technology, people's souls would get lost in the nether. A GM thoroughbred with a fresh dark yellow paint job blinds me as it pulls up to the work site. The woman getting out, catching the eyes of my workers, looks like she's in her late 30s. I haven't seen a natural blonde in a long time. Figured most of them got bred out in the dark years, of course. I keep seeing old pictures of people with red hair and they're extinct. Yeah, there's a lot of things about New America that might surprise you. One of them being that uh, red hair people are gone, even though in the next book there is a red haired person. She dyes her hair red. And uh, most people are brunettes. Miss, this is a government sanction operation, I say. What's your business? Yes, sir, she says. I'm looking for Mansur. Mansur, I point at myself. Shauna Briscoe, she offers her hand. I understand you're working on the president's dime for this experiment. This here is not an experiment, I say. But I'd like to know why you're here. May I ask how much the president gave you for this? If you want to look at the public record, I suggest you head north to Washington, D.C. I'm in the middle of a long day that you're making longer. She doesn't walk off to her new car or even blink. Miss Briscoe steps closer and puts a hand on my shoulder, which I'm not accustomed to women doing. She laughs at me when I flinch and shiver. What she doesn't know is that any amount of charm won't gain her any respect. 
I want to give you money to finish what you started, Shauna says. Well, I swallow. I'm working with 25000 for the 30 days. That's all? I thought you were all a bunch of millionaires by now. New America sounds a lot like the America I once knew. Is this bitch drunk? Who is she even, what, what is she even talking about? Nobody in the world has that money. 25000 is more money than I've ever seen. I'm lucky it wasn't just a loan. There can't be any way she's got more to offer. That car must have cost her a few grand, though. I don't know anybody who can afford a new car. Why are you doing all this, man, sir? Hell, I thought you were some kind of entrepreneur. Ma'am, if you're going to buy into this, I suggest you start talking numbers and showing me something of value. We're busy. If you think 25 is a lot, she says, how far will 50 grand get you? Two of the men look up from the ground at her. Nobody has 50 grand. These men won't even see that much in their lifetime combined. With 50 grand, you might be able to buy the White House. I don't even know what anything is worth, but I know Gentry McCord doesn't have that either. I know about Holner Joyner, she says. Jesus, I say. She's like me. Shauna pulls a pen out of her bag and pokes my hand. Of course, I recoil because that stings and I'm not a fan of pain. A bubble of blood pops out of the prick. Then she jams it in her wrist and tries to slice into her skin. I expect her to start bleeding, but nothing. There's no way she's part of the Trinity. When we lost the internet, society crumbled and the fall of man ignited. Evil won us over. But Shauna isn't bleeding, and the kind of confidence Holner displays doesn't just come from the army. If they're in the Trinity, then I'm closer to death than I'm comfortable with. She's unworthy of this world, man, sir. We're supposed to do God's work, and I'd like to think I was once a good person. Your work will help America prosper and expand. She's stepping in your way for her own amusement and profit. Does that seem like the actions of someone God picked to protect the world? I suppose not, I say. But we have a way of getting rid of her already. That may not work. If you shoot and miss, she'll have to take her shot. It might not stop with you either. A lot of people could die. She's right. Honer is gonna be like a wolf chasing sheep. If Rodney fails, then we're all fucked. I'm sure as hell hoping she doesn't hurt that little boy. We'll all be guilty of murder if she gets to him. Take my money, Shauna says. Hire more men and finish this. Stay the hell out of Atlanta, though. And what about you, Miss Briscoe? I'm waiting for my turn in all of this. Not to spoil anything, but the next chapter is from Holner's perspective. And things get a little crazy. I don't know if those of you out there are really hearing the book as I intended it. I don't really know if the, the threads that I put together make sense. The only person I know for sure who is reading this book cover to cover is my mother. So, but 
If you want her opinion, she seems to like it even more than my first two books, so that's good. Uh, it's weird to think about, and I've talked about this before, because I wrote this book in less than a year. I mean, I wrote the first part in, what, 73 days or less? Like, I feel like it was less than three months. So it, it took me no time at all to put this together. And I wrote it during lunch breaks. I wrote it in the morning when I got up for work. I wrote some pieces here and there in the afternoon. But I worked on it almost every day. And th that's part of the reason why the chapters are so short, because I had to work in these small bursts. But writing shorter chapters, working in shorter book and smaller bursts, I think that helped the quality of everything. And some people might disagree, but my days of sitting there for hours working on a chapter, I think those are over. But next week... I'm going to have to keep reading this shit. I know it. So we're going to get further into Holner and her predicament that's coming up. So thank you for listening to Demise of the Podcast with Patrick Attaway. Happy reading.